The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. I'm excited to welcome Devorah Rogers, who is the Chief Strategy Officer for Alter Agents. Welcome, Devorah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad that you're here. I am so excited. I think people have heard me say this. I'm in awe of people who take the time to write a book. They have full-time jobs, they have families, they have a life, and you can still produce such an amazing piece of work. And for listeners, the book that Devorah Rogers and Rebecca Brooks have written is called Influencing Shopper Decisions, Unleash the Power of Your Brand to Win Customers. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, this book has been a real, it was a, like, I could say labor of love, but it was mostly just love. We had a lot of fun doing it and it lasted like nine months. So like, I guess in that sense, it's the labor part. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it came, it's, you know, an output of over a decade of work. And so it just felt like we were kind of going through what we knew very well. And then we had fresh data to back it up and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, what I love about the book is that you weave in kind of your historical perspectives, your career, your journeys, your boss's journeys, and you connect all of it together to kind of give people the evolution of research and why we are here today at this point, and hence why this book is so important. You know, that's interesting because that ended up being my favorite part of the yeah. book, right? When you're writing it, you don't yes. know, you're like, is this good? Is this good? Yeah. Did this suck? And <laughs> actually providing that context of, how did research evolve? Where did it come from? Because, yeah. you know, you just, most of us just enter in and you pick up wherever other people left off and that's yes. that. And so one of my favorite chapters in the book is where we kind of go back and say, well, what did market re- uh, research, how did that evolve? And yeah. why is it the way it is today? And are there things we should rethink given yes. the way our world has changed? Yeah. And you mark the evolution too. It's not like it's been, you know, this way for 30 plus years, and now we're shifting, you actually talk about the different inflection points as to how you mark the change. And, you know, I would love to spend time on that, but I'm going to let listeners get the book to understand the background. I want to dive into more about the premise of the book. And first, let me ask you, what inspired you guys to write this? It's sort of like, what didn't? I mean, we have been working in research as research partners, you know, since 2008. Okay. And early on in the way that our kind of working relationship and research partnership came together was we started doing work. I was at the IPG Emerging Media Lab, and we were kind of trying to prove that emerging media was going to impact purchase decisions or already was, which it's hard to believe that at one point, it wasn't clear. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't, yes. you know, 14 years ago. And we were trying to give marketers a sense of what role social media mm-hmm. or mobile or out of home, digital out of home should have on their marketing efforts. 
And we began to develop this technique that very early on Google adopted as part of uh, what became a pretty groundbreaking, one of the most extensive B2B studies that at that time had been done. At the time, tech companies weren't doing huge amounts of B2B thought leadership. But Google at the time needed to prove their case that people were using the internet to buy stuff, or Mm -hmm. at the very least to research it. And so that kind of was the start of how we began researching. And we stuck with a, it evolved over time, but the basis of our work began with the idea that shoppers were doing more research than ever before, and that it was fundamentally upending the path to purchase, the funnel, what it means to be a brand, what it means to talk to shoppers. And so we did that research over, you know, like I said, 14 years. And I was at, uh, in, in 2019, in November of 2019, I was at a conference in New York, the last one I was at before, before COVID. COVID. Yeah. Before COVID. <laughs> and a publisher was in the audience and she heard me talking about shopper promiscuity, which we mm-hmm. can talk about in just a moment. Yes. And she said, you have to write a book on this. And like now, and wow. why do you write three? <laughs> <laughs> and so we did. That's great. And actually, you know, when you think about it, COVID hit and not that you had more time, but you weren't moving around as much. So potentially you could, you know, focus on that a little bit more as well as you sat down to write up. I tend to be an optimist. So that's well, silver listen, lining. our business grew by 50% during the pandemic. There you go. So I don't know. It was like, we kept thinking like, okay, well, we'll just go write our book. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you doubled everything then the book and, <laughs> and the work. <laughs> so let's talk about shopper promiscuity. Cause I think it really resonated when you spoke about, when you explained it in the book, but give our listeners kind of the basic definition about regarding shopper promiscuity. Sure. So when you hear the word promiscuity, you know, you think all kinds of things, right? It kind of yeah. sounds like a naughty word, right? right. But really you know, promiscuous behavior is about being open. It's about yeah. being unbound. So we describe promiscuous readers. That's somebody right. who will read anything. Mm-hmm. And that is what we began to see in shoppers. They were open. They were prepared to switch brands, maybe even after a lifetime of being committed to a brand. And we really wanted to understand what was behind that. And what we saw was a few things. One, more information than ever before available. Accessible. Right. Yeah. More information available, more people consuming that information. Also, greater innovation. I mean, the number of patents that had been filed, the, the increase in SKUs in a store is astonishing. Mm. You can buy plates made out of avocado pits. You can buy <laughs> reusable silicone pouches for your child's lunch snacks, yeah. right? I mean, there just isn't any limit on what things are available, where they're available, when they're available. Mm-hmm. If you're up in the middle of the night, and my daughter's seven now, but when she was a baby, I would just be up in the middle of the night nursing and just be like, I'll buy this, I'll buy this, buy yep. this. <laughs> yeah. And so there are more things available, always available, and there's more information about it than ever before. And all of that kind of unlocks this shopper promiscuity. We are open to brands, to products, to content in ways that were just didn't exist Mm -hmm. even, even 10 or 15 years ago, even from five years ago, there's more content available. If you look at people getting recommendations on TikTok or Snapchat, that has grown. So we're surrounded by information, we're surrounded by choice, and all of that has had an impact on us to make us more promiscuous, more open, and less loyal. Loyal, right. 
which I guess is the antithesis of promiscuity, right? So what does this mean for a brand? How should they think about shoppers? This is such an opportunity for brands, but it's a real shift Mm -hmm. in how they have to behave. It used to be just get good at creating an awesome, iconic brand name and logo. Mm -hmm. You know, put your brand name as many places as you can and just rinse and repeat. Yeah, you have to have a quality product, sure. Although the requirement for that has even increased, right? So it's not even enough to have a quality product, although you must have that. Yes. And that's even true for $10 hair clips, right? On Amazon, you'll see a thousand reviews for a hair clip that costs $10, right? So it's true up and down the The spectrum of of, categories mm -hmm. and price points. Totally. Yeah. So brands have to shift to become content creators, Mm -hmm. news writers, PR specialists, <laughs> values driven, yeah, can be able to express what they're committed to, what they're willing to stand up for. There's a whole section in our book actually on brand values. Yep. And yet, much of the way brands are operating has been very narcissistic. We call yep. it brand narcissism. And there's a part of the book where we describe what this is like. And it's pretty much the equivalent of going on a needy date. I love this example. (laughs) (laughs) You go on a date, you're sitting there with the person and they're like, so like, how much better do you think I am (laughs) than your other people you've dated? Like, am I this much better? Am I this much cuter? Am I this much more? Am I more innovative? Right. Would you come out with me again next time? And actually it's not even hyperbole. That is what is in the surveys of brands across the world. Right. Me, right. me, 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 me. Yeah. Not so shocking. Just, not shocking. Not, tra- right? not shocking. Not shocking. Yeah. You know, we're a lot of people are narcissistic yes. kind of inherently. Right. And so brands repeat that. But it's not meeting the needs of shoppers who have fundamentally changed. They're more informed than ever before. They use more sources than ever before before buying. They're more thoughtful. They might spend, you know, weeks or minutes, but they can do that research as fast as you can. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And when you talk to brands about this idea of brand narcissism, because obviously your clients are trying to deal with the change, what's the feedback? Is it like, oh, you, you know, is there a challenge? Is there resistance in this idea that a brand, but a brand is narcissistic? I would say on that, we haven't had any resistance. There is, you know, it's usually over a glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> right? softens the blow. <laughs> right. But the reaction from most of our, I would say all of our folks, you know, our clients and friends and peers and industry folks around brand narcissism has been acknowledgement that this is true. There's less clarity on how to address it because it's so baked into research and marketing. And so there is a general, I think, consensus that this is the case but there's a lot of hesitancy about how to fix it, how Mm. to address it because marketing budgets and even people's bonuses are built on what happens in brand trackers in ways. And, you know, marketing research firms are built on their brand trackers. They have millions of dollars committed to this way of, of working. So it's a tricky thing to figure out how to solve, but there's, I think, been alignment. There's a need to shift. Yeah. I would imagine newer companies entering the space, like the direct to consumer brands, you know, more 
I would say, yeah, relatively new entrants into categories might be open to measuring and understanding their performance in a different way, just because they don't have that legacy in history. Some are, some are. I think that there was a lot of sort of like easy money that happened when digital advertising was kind of in its heyday, just like a couple of years ago, where you could track anyone and you could figure out exactly (laughs) down to the last freckle who they were. And so there were a lot of brands that just kind of relied on that and they figured out what would click and what would convert. Right. That's gotten a little bit more difficult. And so, and some of those direct-to-consumer brands are actually struggling. Yeah. Okay. And that's where it's like, it's not only not enough to get the message right, because that actually is hard and does require some level of listening where you have to just sort of have a real insight that you know is true. You know, like you think about the untuck it guy, I don't know what happened to him, but right. He got that there was a group of people that didn't want to tuck in their shirt. Right. (laughs) He got that and built a whole business on that. Yes. Yes. However, over time you have to, to continue growing, you actually have to have a platform for listening, an approach that actually allows you to be continually informed because with COVID, with, you know, whatever's happening with inflation, there's a lot of needs that consumers Mm. have that could change rapidly. And so I think that generally, you know, look, I'm a researcher, so I have invested in saying people should do more research. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) But I believe that. Yes, I do too. I mean, you know, you make millions and millions and millions of dollars of decisions, you know, why not mitigate risk and be as certain as possible that decisions you're making are based on reliable data and research. So, you know, as you were talking about this, I was thinking like in the 90s, early 2000s, you know, like brands were almost status symbols, right? People were attached themselves to brands. And now we're talking about, it feels as if the shift is Brands are trying to attach themselves to people. It's almost a bit of a shift in power here, given the amount of information consumers have now, the availability of always being on and getting anything you want at any time, even with like all these delivery services and stuff like that. Is that construct resonate with you? Totally. Okay. So the way one of my former mentors who I talk about in the book talks about it is the shift has been, so at one point, retailers had all the power. All the power, yep. Right? It was a supply chain issue. Yep. Either you got the goods and you were the only one in your town that had it, and that was that. Yeah. And brands hadn't emerged yet as super powerful. And so they did what the retailer told them to do and how they told them to do it, and that was that. Yeah. Then there was this rise, kind of the retail 2.0, where the brands had the power and the Coca-Colas of the world said, you're going to do this the way that I want to do it. And you're going to put up this sign. You're going to charge this amount. You're going to give me this deal. And that's that. Now where we're at is kind of this retail 3.0 kind of context. And the shoppers absolutely have the power and their currency is information. Mm -hmm. That's the enablement that gives them the power to do that. Right. And Dan Pink calls it information parity. Okay. Right. So if you think about, you know, what it was like to buy a car 20 years ago, you know, the sales guy at the dealership, he had yeah. the power. He knew things that you couldn't know. Right. And it didn't matter if you thought he was on your side or if you thought that you could out negotiate him. At the end of the day, they had the information, they had the power. Yep. Now, I mean, there isn't a single piece of information that's not available right. out there about buying a car down to the engineers who created the features and all of that. Yeah, it's powerful. So let's talk about, you know, 
in the book, you talk about source usage and net influence as kind of metrics of understanding how your brand might be doing. Can we break down those two definitions? Yeah, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. I mean, I thought I was going to be a poet in life and instead I became a researcher and these became my poems. (laughs) So, uh, So source usage is a metric that we created when we were trying to understand all of the things people do before they buy. Okay. Yeah. The path to purchase, the shopper journey, but really understood as discrete touch points that people use at each phase of their decision-making process as they go from undecided to decided from Mm -hmm. essentially no, or maybe to yes. Yes. And what we want to understand is, well, where are they going? Because if information is the new currency for Mm -hmm. shoppers, then you have to know what they're consuming. And TV ratings aren't enough. And for a long time, it was sort of like you could get these various metrics, right? TV ratings, South Nielsen, or you had different web metrics from Google, but they didn't live in any place where they were interconnected and could sort of be looked at as, you know, in aggregate together and relative to one another. And so our source usage tool sought to say, okay, well, all the sources you might use, traditional ones like TV, radio, print, emerging ones that now today are almost like traditional. Right. They're now they're the lion's share for most most people. Right. And then newer ones that have emerged like retail media, right? So like an online marketplace and their algorithmic search and, you know, other people like you have bought. Yeah. We just put those on a single continuum and source usage looks at of a thousand or 2000 or 3000 people that bought in a particular category, what percentage of them used a source before they made a decision. Okay. Okay. So that's source yep. usage. And you might have 60% of folks are using search, 50% are using consumer reviews, 20% are using podcasts. Right. Okay. Now you have a sense of sort of where you might find scale. Yep. But it doesn't necessarily mean that any one of those sources actually met the shopper's need. It doesn't mean that they actually found it influential. I mean, I could ask my father-in-law for input on something and, you know, the feedback he gives me might not be that influential, Right. but I, you know, I checked, but, in you, with him but and, you checked in and got right. that information. Right. Whereas I could listen to a podcast of Tim Ferriss's and he goes and tells me that there's this new magic mushroom coffee yeah. blend that is going to give me all my, you know, essential whatever and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and that might be really influential. And so maybe not a huge number of people that didn't do it, but or use that source, but for those who did, yeah. it might be the defining most influential thing. So net influence essentially takes, it's a, essentially we calculate, we take the top box yep. and minus the bottom box and then say, was this source more influential for more people than it was not influential? Got it. And that gives us net influence. And what it produces is quadrant chart. We used to do it in heat mm-hmm. maps, but basically what it says is, where as a marketer can I go and find the most people or the right people who I can influence and get them to say yes? And I love doing this because you can talk to, so when brands do this through brand tracking, where they say like, well, what other competitors, they don't actually reveal folks, like competitors that they might not be aware of. They might kind of have a sense of these are my top five or top 10 competitors. But when we do it this way, what is revealed is 
any brand that they're buying from. Mm. And it turns out that often through this process, brands that the our, let's say our client wasn't even tracking mm-hmm. come up. Come up. Right. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, there's a new baby food that's being put out by this actress. Yeah. And people are buying that and looking at it and, you know, they're achieving things that this established brand hasn't been able to do. It basically lays bare the marketing campaigns of our competitors' brands. Yeah. So how do you actually, sorry, I'm getting technical here. When they actually do the survey, it's basically anybody that's purchased in the category, irrespective of brand. Is that how you qualify the, go ahead. That's right. And the way that we think about this is, for in the way, and so this is a big point that we make in the yeah. book. The way most research is done today is among intenders, people who might right. potentially buy you, maybe once did. Right. The problem with that is, and we've tested it, is that if you're only intending, I mean, that can go on for years. Yeah. Like, yeah. There are people who are like, well, I want these kitchen cabinets at. And it, like five years no. later, you're like, didn't get the kids a government. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when they tried so, to telescope it with in the next 30 days, do you intend six, right? To try to create some. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The problem is unless you've completed your purchase, you don't, don't actually know what made a difference. Right. So what we do is we look at purchasers, people who actually, actually bought yeah. and as recently as possible so that the. The Mm -hmm. experience is still fresh in their minds. And then we just take them through it just like you would if you were like sitting, you know, kind of with a friend who recently, I don't know, maybe they bought like, I don't know, a new crib. They have a new baby coming. Yeah. And you're like, okay, so, and then maybe you're expecting, I don't know, like, like, okay, so where'd you go? Yeah. Oh, you, okay. And then what had you say yes to a vegan avocado based mattress? And they tell you, well, I read all these reviews and then I went to this retailer who I'd never heard of, but they had this amazing stuff. And then I read this expert that then also recommended it, right? If you were to sit down and unpack that, that's kind of how our research goes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's how our research goes. Well, how long did you spend thinking about that? Well, where'd you go for information? Oh, you went there, 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 there. Oh, well, which of those really made an impact for you? Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. And that's kind of how the research goes. It's done through online quant research. That's also a difference. For a long time, shopper journey work was done kind of qualitatively. Qualitatively, yeah. And that's fine. But yeah. we wanted to quantify because if you, if you say, if you have 2,000 people, if 80% of 2,000 people say, I used a consumer review, I mean, I'll tell you what, if you're a brand in that space, your consumer reviews and your better strategy, be good. <laughs> it better be amazing. Yes. You're right. Not even good. It better be amazing. You're right. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, how are shoppers values changing? Shopper values are changing in some really interesting ways. One that we had been seeing for a while Mm -hmm. increasing was just kind of overall awareness of different issues impacting supply chain, manufacturing, you know, best practices as it relates to employee labor practices, that kind of thing, respect and safety of, you know, shoppers data. Those had been increasing kind of, I would say like, just, you know, as people became more uh, knowledgeable over the past year, it would like stair step up Mm -hmm. in a kind of predictable way. And so those things have gone from being like something that five to 10% of the population cares about to 50% now say that they scrutinize materials before they buy. 
And I mean, scrutinize. I knew somebody who, I mean, he was a really big, you know, environmental advocate. Yeah. And I mean, every single thing that he bought for his girlfriend, for his mom, for himself, yes. had hours and hours of research behind wow. it. And like, that sounds crazy. And yet that's kind of actually the norm, even for people who aren't super environmentally concerned. And then we saw with COVID a really interesting mm. change. So we asked in our research, we did, we researched 6,000 shoppers as a part of producing this book. And we asked, you know, were you impacted by COVID, right? So if they had a death in the family, you know, if they suffered illness, if they lost a job. And those folks who were impacted by COVID are far more likely to rate some of these sort of corporate social responsibility initiatives. Actually, there's not even a great word for it, but, you know, good brand behavior. Right. That has all these different names that we apply to it. Social responsibility. Yeah, right. Got it. Inclusion and equity, all that stuff. They were on average 10 to 20 points more likely to say that those things mattered to them if they had been impacted in some way. Interesting. Well, that makes sense, right? They're personally feeling the pain of a lot of these issues. Well, maybe not. I mean, hard to say. You had COVID or, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There's been sort of, I think, some sort of awakening or value shift Yeah, that, you know, and, you know, particularly in the United States, we don't have a strong, you know, safety net here. And so I think that there's kind of been some growing awareness around that. The other piece is that there has been a real bifurcation Mm -hmm. of shoppers, absolutely sort of the white collar folks who can work from home. Mm-hmm. They are doing so. We kind of uncovered this actually. We didn't go in no thinking, knowing about this, it, yeah, right. But we kept seeing something in the data that we were like, "What is going on here? Is this just tied to income? Is this right. just tied to education?" And ultimately, what when we went back and looked, folks who had been able to work from home continuously hadn't lost their job. So again, this sort of white collar worker, Security, who, right, right, and can work from home, can work mm-hmm. remotely. The remote worker became a whole new cohort. They are able to research more than anyone. They can do it for days on end. Nobody's watching them. Yeah. And they do. And they are also more likely to say that something that they uncovered during their research changed their mind on what brand they wanted to buy. Interesting. And that makes sense when you break it down, when you really think about the fact that they're unleashed, right? There's no, they can, I know Rebecca feels like you get your work done when you want to get it done. And the rest of the time is, you know, yours and you can do what you need to do. Including researching product, products, product, products yeah. for hours at a time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One, I would also imagine, you know, not everybody has access to Wi-Fi and right. That's another piece or internet it's, connection. It's, yeah. That is a huge one. Although, you know, now it's like 85% penetration yeah. and, you know, mobile phones are pretty much ubiquitous, but time Yes. Time is the luxury. And I agree. If your time is your own and you're not working on somebody's clock or nobody can see over mm-hmm. your shoulder, which of course, you know, ends up being, you know, there are some real inequities to that. Sure. But if you have that time, you know, you're more able to spend time on things. Right. Whereas if you're working a full-time job at a store, like right. you just don't have that time. Or three jobs, right? It d- or yeah. three jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Dora, I am so glad you joined me today. I love the book. I strongly encourage listeners to buy it and read it. Where can they buy it, Dora? I love answering this question. <laughs> Anywhere books are sold. So you can buy it at target.com, you know, Amazon, uh, Kogan Page. Uh, they are our publisher and you can 
uh, get that. And we can actually give you a discount code that you can also share out with your listeners to get 20% off. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.